previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. We have fun being on the radio. It doesn't pay that great, but why not do something that you enjoy because life is short. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to episode 36 of the Sports Refuge, the weekly interview show where guests discuss their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. This episode's guest, Dante Finney, has appeared on the Sports Refuge two times previously, and in his most recent appearance, he announced that he and his wife, Debbie, were expecting. Now, Dante is the father of a newborn girl, Dakota. In this episode, Dante and I discuss what it's like having a daughter after raising two sons. Finney and I also broached on the topic of the keto diet, how it compares to the Atkins diet, and other ways to maintain a healthy lifestyle. We'll also do another round of word association, focusing on a number of people in the world of fitness, martial arts, and more. And now, my interview with Dante Finney. You know, they always say the third time is a charm, and for every time I've had him on, Dante Finney has always really wild pretty much anybody who's listened you always are entertained you get a good laugh and you always learn something new and i'm glad to have dante back especially for the third time it's sort of like i was just telling one of the previous guests who who's been on four times it's sort of like how saturday night live has the five timers club and i'm glad to have you on again dante how are things going down in florida man down in south florida feeling great and uh definitely feeling the miami heat Yes, sir, man. But I'm loving it, baby. How's Maryland feeling to you? Maryland's all right. Delaware just is good, too. I mean, I'll tell you the one thing is about being so close to home, going back and forth to commute, it isn't as bad as people would think when you think driving basically the whole length of the state of Delaware, the tip of the top of the state of Delaware, you'd think it'd be a long trip. But honestly, less than 90 minutes sometimes. Okay, all right. Not bad, little 90 minutes, pop, pop. That's how long it takes to get to Miami from here about. And Man, people say that's a long distance down here. You know, anything over 30 minutes, they're like, nope. Shoot, 90 minutes is nothing for DMV. What you think, Earl? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I said, being where we're at, two hours from New York, 40 minutes from Philadelphia, an hour or so from Baltimore, 90 minutes from D.C., and like I said, 90 minutes from good old Salisbury and, and everything around those points. There's nothing really to complain about. I do want to ask, you're, you're so close to South Beach. How close are you to Thomas? Man, I don't even know. I, I, I got to visit Thomas. He, he's on the, on the golf side, so I'm not sure. But it takes, I think it takes about two hours to get over there. Because he had mentioned, yeah, because, you, you know, you being in Wellington, you being on different locations and parts of the state, it's just sort of... Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised, you know, just shooting over to the Gulf isn't quite as easy as you think it would be. It's just like hearing about people who are like Tampa Bay Rays fans who live in Tampa and have to go to St. Petersburg. They say it's a narrow bridge and it's a 30-minute drive and plus the bridge is so narrow, there's really only one way in and one way out and there's no other alternatives. And that's why apparently people use that excuse of why they don't go to games. <laughs> Because uh, that is a huge topic down here on the radio, man, about how Tampa Bay uh, struggles to fill the uh, stadium. Yeah, and they're not like how the Bucks and how the Lightning are. You know, they're not in Tampa. The Rays are not in Tampa, that is. Everybody else is in downtown Tampa, and I assume that's a little bit easier for them to navigate. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
So yeah, Dante, I know a lot of stuff's been going on since the last time I talked to you. You are a father for the third time, and that has yes, to be a sir. great feeling. Uh, yeah, man, it's great. It's very interesting having uh, another kid after 18 years from the first one, 12 years from the the second one, and then having another one. It's uh, A lot has changed for sure. How does that differ, I guess, sort of being an older parent now, sort of being a younger parent when when, uh, when Dylan was first born? Man, you mean, well, you know, personally, as a parent, you know, a lot's changed with me, the situation, and, I mean, we, you know, the baby was born in Florida, man. It's, it's crazy, right? You know, after spending 34 years in Maryland, so, so that's been very interesting, definitely way different dynamics right now. And we got built-in babysitters, we got Dion to help babysit, and way different, way different. I assume the nerves of being a first-time parent back then had to, you know, just sort of rack your brain the whole time. And I guess now you see some of the parents from kid one to kid two or to kid three or so on, it sort of becomes old hat. Mm-hmm. It's a true statement, yeah. It's a true statement. Uh, some people, you know, you can tell if they have one kid or no kids. You know, I've known people get upset when I say that, but it's okay. I'm, I can deal with it because uh, it's true, man. You can tell, and then, you know, kid two – now we're talking about kid three and it's a little girl and you definitely want to be, you know, delicate with your little girl. But at the same time, you can tell there's little tricks and shortcuts you can get away with that you wouldn't even try with the first one, you know. I was about to ask you that. What do you think is a little more, I guess, sort of nerve wracking, raising boys or raising a girl? Well, I'm, I'm very, very early into the girl stage, so I can't tell you all that. But as far as just at this stage and point and projecting the future and thinking about the future, the girl easily, man. Come on now. Can't be touching on my little girl. My, my boys, if they got into trouble, it's their fault anyway, right? But um, if, if she get into trouble or something's going on, man, you know, it's going to be a little different story there, buddy. You know, we got two black belts and a green belt and two green belts in the house. It's, it's going to be an interesting situation. Are you going to be one of those uh, dads where, especially when she goes on her first date like prom or so, you're going to play the stern father or are you just going to play play the sort of laid back dad? The stern father? We going all the way to um, bad boys on them. Shoot, we going all the way bad boys on them. Who knows? I might come to the door with a pair of nunchucks and a samurai sword. I don't know what's going to happen. When you mentioned nunchucks, it made me think of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and we talked about that in our first episode. It is, yeah. I think Michelangelo tends to be a criminally underrated Ninja Turtle. We, we've already talked about Donatello. We talked about Leonardo. Uh, you know, Raph uh, tends to, you know, everybody likes Raph. Raph is like the Wolverine of the Ninja Turtles. Everybody no doubt. sort of, uh, you know, attracts to, to Raphael and things like that. But I feel like Michelangelo is very, uh, very underrated. And especially, I feel like just looking at the video games, playing with them, nunchucks, even though that nobody who, you know, nobody is really competent with something like that, let alone, you know, most sharp objects and, and things like that. I feel like the nunchucks are a very uh, debilitating weapon. It can be, yeah, diff- very difficult to use. Uh, little control is the problem. So you can rank weapons to a degree of difficulty of use, um, effectiveness, like one-hit effectiveness, and ability to control the weapon is huge, right? And nunchuck would be low on that list of ability to control. But real quick on Michelangelo, we watched a show, I believe, on Food Network, and they were doing a Ninja Turtle cake for the Ninja Turtle party, right? 
and Michelangelo was on there. This dude has embodied his character to the absolute fullest. I mean, he talks like Michelangelo all the way. I don't know if he was doing it for the camera, but it appeared as if that's how a dude lives his entire life. Was, as Michelangelo. Was it the guy from the cartoon or was it from the movie? Because I was watching To the, Tell the Truth and they had the guy from the movie who did Michelangelo's voice on there. Yeah. Blonde dude? Uh, kind of long hair? I think so. Because I think it was the guy from the movies. Yeah, it might have been the same one. I'm like, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, this dude, he embodied the character. He talking about all he eat is pizza and everything. The whole deal. <laughs> and I think That's just crazy. Like I said, it's like when I think of Donatello from the movies, I already think of Corey Feldman. He was Donatello in number one and number three. He might have gotten a little trouble, and he wasn't in there for number two. But you could tell the difference between... Uh, Corey Feldman and whoever played Donatello in that one. It's like you listen to t- the two versions of Kermit the Frog. You can tell which one's Jim Henson and which one isn't Jim Henson, and you can just tell how <laughs> obvious it is. This guy, I'm gonna have to check. I'm gonna have to check the Kermit thing out, man. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, like anything from like 1990 uh, on back. <laughs> that's Jim Henson, and everything pretty much after that, even up to like Sesame Street now or. When they did, yeah. they brought the Muppet Show back. Yeah, it was a different guy. I think it was the guy who did the voice of, uh, no, actually a different guy who did the voice of uh, Kermit on Muppet Babies. That's the dude that does Scooby Doo now. I'll tell you, man, it's oh, the okay. weirdest stuff. Yeah, wow. like, weird stuff. Like Frank Welker is the guy who did the voice of Scooby Doo. Uh, Fred, um, he did a lot of voices. I can't think of who else he did. There's like a million of voices he does. He's, he's. And guess once you got that whole voice change thing going, that's just what you're good at. Yeah, man. And I heard like I was watching this documentary on YouTube. They were just talking about how union rules if you're a voiceover artist you can't be in the studio for that job more than four hours so you got to get all your lines done in four hours minimal takes and that's it can't be there any longer especially a lot of these right. guys do multiple jobs so you know, yeah 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 gotta be in gotta be out it, I, and you're talking about cartoons right now man it, it it just brings me back to the fatherhood thing like the cartoons and what people see is so much different like the one big thing i, I say to people and it was 2001. I always got to look this up. I'm sure YouTube was out, but maybe it wasn't. But the biggest thing I always point out is when I had my first kid, I thought about so many things that could happen and would happen and all these different things. YouTube was not one of them. Social media was not one of them that I was like, wow, social media is going to come up. Well, we were on AOL AIM at that time, right? Like, Yeah, Yahoo Messenger, yeah. all that. I mean, it was 01, so we was floating away from Messenger and AIM, but that was basically what it was, man. That's why I talked to my wife on, and that was in my 12th grade year, so yeah. yeah I think, yeah, you know, MySpace and, was uh, a bridge. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I think MySpace didn't come along until I had my first baby. Um, so that was a big, I didn't even think about it like that. And then from there to now is amazing, man. A huge gap on what they watch, what we watch. How we can watch things is uh, pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's crazy just thinking like I didn't really start using Facebook till the tail end of uh, yeah, tail end of college. I mean, like Wikipedia was maybe mm-hmm. like middle of even though it's not social media, that was like the middle of college. You know, mm-hmm. and I would remember still reading encyclopedias back then, and then all of a sudden Wikipedia came, and then of course mm-hmm. we had to 
read that very judiciously and take some things green with a grain of salt until you saw that those things were properly cited. And now that's my go-to for reading useless information nowadays. That are you? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems silly to say, man, but I think we can all admit if you got to look up something and you got ninety seconds or less, you're gonna go Wikipedia. Yeah, like I said, as long as you I mean, it down. Yeah, it's just what it is, man. So yeah, it's, it's it's pretty interesting, you know, the source of information and everything we have, the way she's gonna learn compared to the kids, and there was no common core, right? So lots changed. Yeah, honestly, I don't know how these kids do Common Core. It's I hated math, and I've mentioned that before. And, and science, while it's a cool thing, it's just not my thing. How they get these answers, it makes no sense. It, it really doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, I'm fortunate. My son understood it. You know, the middle guy, Dion, he understood it. Uh, so, And when I ask him questions out loud, he has to think about them in his head. He can come up with the answer pretty fast. So, boom. You know, if it works for him, I let him ride with that and let it be, and we keep it going. Yeah, I mean, just even trying to show your work, I've seen some people try to show the work, and it's just like, I don't understand it. And it's just like a, uh, yeah, there's no way you can really feasibly show your work. I'm just so yeah. used to, you know, we're you know we're using our fingers. We're using maybe like the uh, toothpick trick to, to sort of figure certain things out and... I, yeah, I don't get it, and, you know, that's... Uh, well, I actually think they're either, A, signing a petition, which I know happened, or it's happening, and, B, already banned Common Core in a couple counties down here, or maybe the county I live in, something like that. It's not banned, that's a bad word, but um, they've stopped using it as part of the curriculum, so crazy. Yeah, I mean... They wouldn't go that far for English or things like that. I mean, and those are just as important things. That's another thing. Well, we were falling behind worldwide, buddy. We was falling around world, falling behind worldwide. Oh, yeah. Not let that happen. That's what put us on the top. Yeah, and that's the thing. Maybe is contentment. You know, sometimes you get fat and content, and all of a sudden, yeah, you're all right. And then it all takes something to challenge you. I mean, and if you look at histories of of other countries, look at Europe, and and look over in Asia. Those places got hit hard by wars in the in the forties and fifties. They had no choice but to rebuild. You think really the worst damage that the U.S. maybe had was about eighteen fourteen or whatever when the British came in and burned down the White House and the Capitol. Right. Other than that, really, Civil War. Okay, Atlanta. Yeah, and most of the South. But other than that, really, there wasn't something with massive damage caused by an outside uh, enemy, as opposed to right. what happened in World War II and the atomic bombs and the bombings of Europe and things like that. Right. They had to rebuild. We didn't have yep. to. Yep. It made them have to focus on, like, okay, we got to do better. We can't just build it back the way it was. We got to come back better than what we were, right? And, you know, so that, that sense of urgency is there, something that, you know, we don't have quite as much. Thankfully, for good reason, because we're safe for the most part. So I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of the things I was telling you about, me and my wife have recently started a uh, diet regimen. I guess it's sort of hard to call it really diet. It's more, as I learned in the Weight Watchers classes years ago, it's a lifestyle change. So we change yeah. our lifestyle around. We So a diet, so hold on, can, can we just, let's just go over this real quick. This is great for the listeners. Because a lot of people are afraid to use the word diet. So now it's making stuff even more confusing because we don't know how to label our nutritional changes and all this list. 
a diet is simply a change uh, in calories, whether it's an increase, a decrease, or a way of eating to help you maintain your calories. All of that is a diet. A diet is simply a way of eating. It, if you look it up, that's literally what it is by definition. So don't be afraid to say diet anymore. I know people say diet and they automatically think of calorie restriction. That's not what it is. To keep it simple, it's a diet, guys. Cool? Oh, yeah, yeah. So and that, being, oh, yeah. that being said, me and my wife went on this diet. And really, it wasn't anything ridiculous. It wasn't a fad diet. It isn't a crash diet or anything like that. All we did was basically reduce the amount of calories that we've been eating. We've been able to eat what we wanted, only in moderation. And we've right. also really been keeping track of it. And one of the biggest things that we've been using is my fitness pal. And that's one of the things that, honestly, I have been doing that for a while initially and then sort of got away from it. And I started getting back onto it. Me and my wife started getting back onto it late last month. Okay. And yeah, good job. Good job using my fitness pal. Actually, yeah, late late May. So, you know, around Memorial Day. So always the tough stuff. So, you know, right around the barbecue time, right around all the good treats and things like that. And honestly, since then, um, right, actually, it was a few days before I had to go to the doctor. And at that time, once I went to the doctor, I had already lost three pounds just from that Monday to that Friday. So, and yeah, not doing anything different, just trying to drink enough water, e- eating eating to my calorie level. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, my diet, basically my meals are this. I do a sandwich or a wrap, low calorie wrap, um, 90 calorie wrap, and then, you know, with ham and, and cheese and uh, mayo every now and then. And then other times, my mayo. Snacks, yeah, yeah, mayo. I've been. I even try to measure it out. The one tablespoon. I know it's a hundred calories or so, depending on what you want to use. Do that. I also I eat a cheese stick. I do almonds, either cocoa flavored or or other flavored. Uh, I do mandarin oranges. I'm starting doing apples again. Started integrating some peaches. Do pistachios. Perfect. Um. Yeah, and I try to spread it out throughout the day, and I try not to go overboard. I really try to phase out a lot of sweet stuff because eh, I'm not really I don't know maybe just the older I got it just sweet stuff just isn't as good to me anymore mm-hmm. very possible yeah 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 your uh, taste buds I don't know what the proper word but you know they're malleable they change you can change them you can uh, you know if you don't eat salts a couple of the salt ones kind of go away and uh, whatever you're eating sugar says sugar increases in the opposite as well so that's good, man. The less you eat it, the less you crave it. Good job. Yeah, and also, speaking of the salts, I again, you find out you got high blood pressure, and it's one of those things like, okay, uh, yeah, I can do without, I can alternate salt with something else as opposed to taking medication every day for the rest of my life. I mean, that's always a little bit easier. Like, we've been using this low-calorie stuff. I can't yeah. think of what it's called. It's a, it's, a season, it's a seasoning that's a replacement for salt, basically, like, you know, pepper, paprika garlic and a whole bunch of other things no salt in there mm-hmm. yeah and you really can't taste the difference uh, the problem is some people don't flavor food and we're not gonna mm-hmm. go into whatever um demographics that is who don't flavor their food <laughs> there crazy. are plenty of people there are plenty <laughs> of people who don't put any seasoning on their food some people just don't pay it any mind other people just and i know you're trying to cut back on yourself but you got to have something on there you can still use paprika ain't paprika's not going to kill you pepper yeah. won't kill you garlic won't kill you unless you're a vampire i mean other right. than that 
there are plenty of different seasonings you can use. And even in salt, yeah. moderation, just small amounts of salt. I think that's the other mm-hmm. thing. People, you don't have to cut all the salt. Just reduce what you eat that has a lot of sodium in it. It depends on where you're from, too, man. You know, people from India can come over here and eat anything, salty, hot, or whatever, and just not even taste it at all because their use of the intensity of the heat in their dishes consistently every day, all day, they don't even taste any of that. So it does, you know, it goes back to how you can train your taste buds. If you can train your taste buds to like garlic, oregano, onion powder, paprika, um, all these different types of seasons, turmeric, uh, you know, all these different things, and not just salt, then you're winning. Because now you can season your rice with some curry, leave the salt out, boom, you can have some great flavor, not just plain rice, and you're winning, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting enough, I wrote like a story uh, about the South Asian diet, how they have their own issues where they have stuff high in butter ghee and stuff like that and things that they have to watch out for. And that might be something that's plaguing them with with their type of, uh, what is it, uh, atherosclerotic uh, cardiovascular disease and things like that. And, and again, it's a lot of different a lot of different ethnicities deal with their own issues when it comes to stuff like that. Believe me, I'm far from a nutritionist. I am not a cardiologist. I don't even play one on TV. I just know <laughs> I just know that from some of the stuff that I've listened to and, and had to write about that, you know, different people in different uh, regions face their own issues when it comes to uh, certain things when it comes to diet. Yeah, Mediterranean diet seems to be the overall, you know, if we're talking about scientifically speaking by the research the mediterranean diet seems to be the one that wins man it seems to be the one that does the daggone thing um the people that do it they definitely seem to have the main factor obviously people gauge is that health risk or the heart risk right your heart disease those types of things and on um, the mediterranean diet seems to work well with that man yeah and, and it's funny that was probably one of the most popular uh, stories on our websites. Anytime you have the words Mediterranean diet, eyes light up, and and people will yeah. and the doctors will read it because they know that's a big thing and it's it's one of those things and and I feel like that's a diet that's built for health. You got salmon and you got a bunch of other stuff, olives, olive oil, and and, and mm-hmm. so many other things I can't think of off the top of my head. But yeah, I think that's yeah. a very beneficial thing. And now, if you're yeah. not a big fan of fish or like certain avocados, things, oh yeah, yeah, avocados. I mean, and people get scared when you see a lot of it, it has calories and fat. It's good fat and it's good calories, and there's a lot of fiber in it. Yeah, there's a lot of studies now that are saying you know, eating a lot of healthy fat right will lower your HDL. Um, and I just tend not to believe that, man. We've seen too many people. Eat healthy fats, a la your Mediterranean diet, and then lower their their total fat levels in their bodies, you know, and cholesterol. So I say go ahead and go with the healthy fats, man. You need it. Your brain's made out of fat. Your eyeballs. I mean, come on. You need that. Yeah, I know. For example, there's a lot of talk that uh, I know my father-in-law, his dad, they start using this natokinase. And I know they say that, you know, long use of that sort of helps with blockages and clearing blockages and things like that. And that's a, a unique thing. And, and that might be, you know, very per person. Who, who knows? Because not everybody's the same. It might work more for one person than it might work for, for you or me or something like that. But, you know, and I'm very curious to see what the effects are because I was reading about it and there's certain things that it shows there is beneficial for and other things that they're still inconclusive on. Can you say that name for me again? Uh, Nato kinase. Nato kinase. 
Yeah, and that's one of those things. Again, I mean, I'm trying it now just to see. I mean, and and that's something you got to admit. It's something you got to take over long term use. It's not, you know, it's not like it's going to be something. Oh, you can take it in a couple of weeks. It's fine. It's something over months, a month, and maybe a good year or so. You might actually see the benefits to it. But oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of these things. You know, we try not to give too many recommendations on things that haven't been used for. You know, we'll say 10 years, and honestly, that's not long enough. Um, but you got a lot of things that's come out in the past two years, three years, that actually work. The data's not there, this, that, and the third, but you can try it. I mean, man, the things that we try, all the plastic we're consuming, a credit card's worth of plastic you're consuming per month, I believe, or was it even per week? I mean, just insane. So, you know, experimenting with some extra supplements, here and there is definitely not going to hurt you, man. Definitely worth the try. We recommend it by the, the proper person. Oh, yeah, yeah. And everybody sometimes, hey, you might want to try this, you might want to try that. I mean, there's plenty of different things. Like, I take I take cinnamon, and, and that's a weight loss. I'm like, I take cinnamon. I take cayenne sometimes. I take uh, flaxseed in addition mm-hmm. to, to fish oil and things like that. It's now with, mm-hmm. I feel like with the potency of each, I take one flaxseed pill, one fish oil pill, one uh well two cinnamon pills and, and like two fiber pills i mean it, it never hurts i mean there's probably excess and fiber that you can have but right now i don't go overboard it's really hard to get an excess of fiber I, can, I forgot what the number is but you can get up to 50 grams of fiber no problem and you're good and in fact that little list you just said right there is interesting by the numbers i, I know fish oil and there's another supplement that by the numbers are the only ones that you can truly take and they can give you results like, yeah, that worked. Mm-hmm. But other than that, the what you say, cinnamon and the cayenne pepper? Yeah, and I've heard cinnamon has been an appetite, oh, maybe not appetite suppressant, but more of a, a dietary aid. And yeah. I've heard that. So, and I'm with you with that, but by the numbers, it's not proven. Nobody can has seen a clinical study where people have taken cayenne pepper and or cinnamon and lost weight solely because of those. So it's always interesting when people try those things. But yeah, you got to try it. And and it makes sense. Sometimes it's just got to make sense, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? So cool. Yeah. Anything that you're going to take and it's going to heat your body up and make you sweat, it's probably going to be thermogenic enough to help you lose a few calories, drop some weight, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I know that, of course, the keto diet has been something that's been all the rage, which, I mean, I, I'm not knocking it, but I, I see it and I look at it, and it seems very, very familiar to the Atkins diet. And it seems like not much of a difference. It's low carb and certain things that you couldn't eat on the Atkins diet that you can't eat on keto. And, and, I don't know how long that someone can do that for a sustained amount of time. Maybe two years max. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, the so keto diet has been used medically since the '80s. Number one. So it does have some back, and it has some time behind it, some research behind it. What we're seeing right now in the people that we work with directly, and the people they know is there, there's a lot of fat issues with it, and people are just eating too much of the fat. I just, just talked to a guy yesterday. He's jacked. I mean, jacked, ripped, low body fat, huge arms, sitting around 235, 250. Big old guy. He's been doing keto for about a year and a half. Works for him. He's ripped. And even the people he says that he sees try have issues with high fat intake. 
you got to control it. You can't just go endlessly on the butter and cheese. Yeah, I mean, at least you think, like I said, more stuff like salmon, more avocado, more beef. Yeah, you know, don't overdo yeah. it. And, and I mean, comparing the keto diet to the Atkins diet, because I feel like, like, as I mentioned before, they are very similar. I don't. Is there like one big difference between those two? Between keto and Atkins, is there one big difference? Yes. Atkins allowed a certain amount of carbs, um, where keto is technically zero carbs. Hmm. So that's all. And, and, and um, you know, anything that's going to eliminate a whole entire food group, you got a question. Because I don't care what part of your ancestors came from or, or, or all these different things we can talk about as it pertains to diet. I think we can all say a little bit of everything's not bad. You just can't overdo any one thing, right? So if you're eliminating carbs completely and you're just running on fat, okay, that's fine. But your brain needs a certain amount of, of, of carbohydrates, glucose. You know, these little things, there's a lot of bodily functions that need sugar. You know, people don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. They need sugar. And, yes, you can make ketones and your body can run off of that. But do we really want to take it that far? I mean, people got jobs to go to. People got kids. People got different things to do, lives to live, husbands to cook for, wives to cook for. Can you really sustain that ketogenic diet for long and be in a ketogenic state at the right times of the day and et cetera? It's tough. Yeah, I always wonder just where do you get the extra energy from? If you don't have carbs to, to burn like most runners use to load up on when they go on a race, where does the energy come from? Yeah. From ketones. So, you know, you get to a certain point where your body produces ketones that your brain and body's able to run off of, an energy source, right? Your body makes an energy source for starvation. That's all. So you starve yourself. You know, back in the day, our ancestors, they had to go through a part of, of a point of starvation. Our bodies produce ketones for them to run off of energy. That's fine. Here's the problem. Modern day, a lot of us do have a problem running off of no sugar. You know, people just collapse. People just can't think. And that's what I mean about people have jobs and kids. You know, fitness competitors still to this day from the people I talk to, Still to this day, they forget events and things that are happening while they're dieting. You know, they forget things. You can't be at your high-profile high job forgetting what to do. You can't forget your kids' practice, these things like that. You don't want to if you don't have to, right? So that's why I don't promote going that no-carb way because you do run into those types of blocks. Now, some people can do it with ease and love it. We currently know a guy doing the carnivore diet. This guy has no carbs, nothing. I think the only thing he eats is red meat, various types of fish, mainly salmon and caviar. And then he has butter and things like that. That's it. That's amazing. But he feels great, reports lower inflammation. He's a very reliable source of information himself. So, you know, you can take his word for how he feels. Very interesting, especially for the carnivore diet, right? Yeah, and I think that some things work better for some people, and I don't think if I tried it, it would be very healthy for me. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta find what works for you, man. It's 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 simply that simple. You gotta find what works for you. Things change. How you, the, your first six months of your life 
when you're born tends to shape your gut biome for the rest of your life. Now, let me back up. I know gut biome isn't quite as important as we first made it a year ago, two years ago, but it still has some relevance and there's still a lot of studies to be done. But there's parts of your gut that can develop or be destroyed. And once it's destroyed and gone, you never get it. That can happen at any stage of your life. But that process starts in the first six months. I say all that to say your gut biome actually dictates what you can and cannot eat, as well as your genetic code. So some people can eat something, some people can eat a lot of carbs and they not gain any weight, and some people can literally sniff a donut and gain tons of weight. Yeah, and that's just crazy to think about. And just sort of just going back to my diet, it's just the thing is, you know, I've rarely, maybe we've had one bad night where we've gone to McDonald's or something like that. It really, it really feels like really our fast food of choice has been Taco Bell. And Taco Bell tends to be a lot better calorie-wise. I say that calorie-wise, and the emphasis on the word calorie-wise, than maybe like uh-huh. a McDonald's or a Burger King or things like that. Because I already know okay. my schedule. I get the mini chicken quesadilla, two of them off the dollar menu. That's 200 calories each. That's 400. The problem is I also noticed that while I try to eat a fairly good amount where I'm not starving, myself i know i end up having a ton of calories at the end of the day and the one thing i go back to sort of my weight watchers experience is they always say eat up to your points at the point in time they were using the points but like that eat up to your calories just don't go over and try not to go over and there's still plenty of times i still got 300 calories left at the end of the day and i feel like i'm still fine and then i know i have some times where if stuff's going on a long day i may not actually eat that much where there's a point where I'm under 1,200 calories in a day and I don't feel hungry, which is still not a bad thing. I mean, I'll still drink water and things like that, but there are times where my calorie intake is well below 1,300 calories. The ones that uh, my fitness pal will warn you, you're under 1,300 calories a day. And and again, it's not a, an everyday thing. So how many times do you think you go over your calories? Uh, how many times per week? Every seven days. Worst case, How many times do you go over? twice, maybe twice a week. And even then, sometimes it's not even that much. It's maybe by the estimation, because I know they say calories aren't 100% accurate of what they are, because sometimes they might be just an estimate. Sometimes I'll go over maybe by 100 calories, sometimes by 50 calories, sometimes by 20 some odd calories. Do you know that the labeling of calories on food, they're actually allowed to be off by so many calories per product. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I had a feeling that you they weren't I mean? 100% accurate. And even yeah, then, there so are there's times- a lot of little tweaks and inaccuracies that happen throughout your measurement. You know, I didn't realize, you know, when we talked to people, oh, I, I ate this many calories and this was supposed to happen and I burned this many and here you go. Well, your food reporting was a little inaccurate. Your heart rate monitor is a little inaccurate, right? You forgot to measure a couple things. You know, it can get a little tricky. Yeah, I have this one uh, movement tracker. I feel is really off because it makes me have a lot of steps, and they're counting like little steps. And I am far from a short stride person. And sometimes I'm like, okay, it's cool. And even then, like for example, like tonight, I made black pepper chicken from scratch with white rice and with broccoli. I know I spent okay. almost a good hour or two cooking. And I mean, if you go by to my fitness pal thing, I probably burned 500 calories just cooking in food prep and probably even more mm-hmm. than that, depending on uh, by the estimation. And I'm still sweating as it is. And I don't know how accurate that is, but <laughs> I mean, but the thing is, and there are times where 
I'm starting to get the theory where if I'm on MyFitnessPal and I can't find that food, the odds are you probably don't need it if there isn't a barcode or scanner calories and things like that. And other times I tend to go over what I think a possible thing is and I'll just say, okay, this is probably not 500 calories. Maybe it's like 350, but I'll just put the 500 calorie in there. That way I know, hey, at least I'll be either at it or under it at the end of the day. That's fine. Yeah, that's good. That's what those things should be used for as a strategy, not concrete numbers. Just the strategy and a day-to-day gauge of where you're at. Are you over or under where you were yesterday? It may not be the right number, but were you over or under? And then you gauge from that. Okay, I've been at such and such number for three weeks. I haven't lost weight. Okay, it's time to go lower or whatever the case may be. Yeah, which is crazy. We just went to the Delaware State Fair, and that one was probably a bad day. I didn't track it, but I knew I, I went over. We had these 32-ounce things of tea that we refilled, and then we had, of course, Chick-fil-A earlier in the day and, and ice cream and all this other stuff. And I look, and I step on the scale that night or the next day, and I'm down. I'm down weight. But then I, step on the, then I step on the scale this morning. I was up. I was up a couple pounds, and I didn't even do as bad as I did yet, and I, as I did the day before. Okay, let me ask you a question. How much activity did you have compared to the day before you lost weight and the day where you did not? Uh, not as much. Not as much activity that that's the, the Sunday really hardly went anywhere. We even went grocery shopping. We walked around the store and things like that, but not as much as walking probably a, a long way during the state fair on a Saturday. So honestly, honestly, no trainer is going to tell you this. No nutritionist, no healthy person out here. They're not going to tell you this. But yeah, you you could technically go to the fair, eat straight funnel cakes, <laughs> But walk off and burn off a certain amount of calories, more calories than what you're accustomed to doing, and lose weight that way. Now, yes, it may be water weight, okay? But you will burn more calories that you can have a negative output at the end of the day by the amount of activity you're doing at the fair, regardless of what you eat. Yeah, and I had one week where I felt like I was doing well weight-wise, actually went up two pounds, and then the next week, because I always try to weigh myself the exact same time, like six in the morning on a Monday, every time to start the week, and then I went down five pounds. And maybe just sort of balancing out, because probably somewhere throughout the week, you know, it just sort of caught up with the weight I probably should have lost last week, the, the previous oh, week. Oh, good job. Yeah, and it's just been doing it. And I'll admit, I have not been ramping up the physical activity. I've just been trying to cut back. And you know, I don't want to use two working two jobs as an excuse. I just, I mean, I try to be as active as I can, you know, when right. I'm working two jobs. But other than that, I haven't hit the gym and things like that. But I feel like I've been trying to cut back. And I know I feel fuller, longer. And I always go back to what Master Gunner used to say in wrestling. Eat till you're satisfied, not till you're full. And um, again, drinking a lot more water. And now I have my days where I don't drink enough water or sometimes I don't drink the 128 I I try to aim for, but I got like a 64 ounce Coleman lantern thing that I have sitting at my desk at work. And I try to drink that every, good, every good, day. Good. I mean, and I try to drink it early because I already know if you have a 40 minute ride and you drink it late in the day and you're on the Jersey turnpike, that probably doesn't end up being the best recipe for <laughs> feeling comfortable on the roads. And you better have an empty bottle close by seven. That's why I drink. As soon as I get into seven 30, I, I try to drink my water. And then after that, and then, you know, throughout the day, I'll be fine by three 30. And then if I drink more water, which I probably do, I'll drink it at home or I'll drink it at the second job where it's not that long of a trip home. 
Right, right. Yeah, and a lot of people do play in their water around their jobs and their their drives. And, I mean, you kind of have to. There's no doubt in that. But, I, you know, no one's ever drank uh, a crazy amount of water and gained weight. Most people that – everyone that has drank the amount of water they're, quote, unquote, supposed to or more has come to me at the end of the week and said, I lost weight. I don't know what that is. There is some exceptions, but those exceptions are always what we'll deem medical reasons. Outside of that, no one's ever drank a crazy amount of water and gained weight. It just hasn't happened. Yeah. And like I said, the worst kick kick I've had recently was just trying to drink these diet snapples. And, And then, you know, diet snapples. The calorie wise, they're not even a blink of an eye as opposed to like a diet soda. Or, I mean, there is zero cool. calories. But uh, do you get any headaches or anything when you don't drink any sugary drinks or diet drinks or anything? No, not at no all. Kind of withdrawal symptoms or anything. I had weaned myself off sodas for a while, and that's the one thing. Just because I always go back to this one story. So it goes back to a lawsuit. A guy sued PepsiCo because he found a partially disintegrated rat in his Mountain Dew. Ew. So yeah. So first thing is, the guy tries to claim, yeah, the rat was in there, and like, you know that that shouldn't scare you because one, there's rats in the in Mountain Dew. Secondly, Pepsi's argument was that it had to have been put in there because the soda would have disintegrated the entire rat. And if you think it'll do that to a rat, what do you think it'll do to your teeth and your insides? That's crazy. Uh, again, soda will be probably uh, minimal unless it's mixed with alcohol, and even then, alcohol for me has been slightly less. Yeah, and uh, I guess I can say I'm a social drinker, and lately it's sort of been antisocial. So I can't, I can't say. Let's <laughs> slow that a down of, a little bit. Yeah, I know. Worst thing, I got sedentary lifestyle. That's the biggest thing now because I'm if I'm cutting back on everything else, it's trying to be a little more active and trying to go to the gym. Yeah, you like talk that. about the numbers. They ran the numbers, man. Worse than smoking. It's, it's clear. It's proven. You can look it up. It's there. Sedentary lifestyle. Worse than smoking, man. Oh, yeah. And getting Crazy. access to, like, the AHA stuff and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see that all the oh, well, and, Well, yeah, the, the, the dementia and brain disease from a lack of movement and a lack of activity is amazing. Yeah, it is crazy. And, you know, try to be a little more active because just... I feel like everything is all connected, and you just got to keep your body moving because it, it pumps blood. It was brain. we were made to move. I mean, that was number one. Before anything else, we had to get across the plains or up the tree. One of the two. Way before we had to get the skill to cook or anything. Oh yeah, you think about it. Ancestors, they're walking. They've walked miles. They walked across the Bering Strait before it became a bunch of water. It was the land bridge, and I know they used to walk thousands of miles. You think of anywhere in the history of the country, it's you know they're walking tons of miles and things like that, and just makes up until the last hundred years, right, or however long cars have been around. Oh yeah, walking was the thing when there was horses. Walking was still the thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's just now where we stopped that movement, and obviously that's not where it's at. Not yet. Yeah. One of the things that we did our first episode, I think everybody liked, we did a little bit of word association, just throwing up okay. things together. And I just got like a bunch of names that popped into my head. And I always want to get maybe your thoughts, a reference. It can be more than just one word because, you know, there sometimes one word isn't enough to sort of describe the names that pop into my head. Uh, be good. Yeah. Cause yeah, we'll go with about maybe a good, uh, maybe. Eight to ten of them because 
you know. All right. That's, that's you know my pop. Cu- you know my pop culture sucks, man. So yeah, I mean, with- yeah, and I and like I said, I'll, I'll tell and I'll tell you why it pops into my head. Okay, first one. This is off the board. Um, Bob Barker. Bob Barker. Uh, Big Pimpin. Happy Gilmore. Uh, and in my grandma's house. Yeah, the thing I reason I picked Bob Barker is, of course, Chuck Norris taught him martial arts, and I know that he's been big. Oh yeah, that's oh, yeah. right. Uh, there's like a one game on Price is Right. I think it was like Master Key where it got stuck and he, he kicked the key to get it out. And um, yeah, and it made me think about that because he did a lot of martial arts, and of course he switched from being uh, omnivore to, to vegetarian. I think around the time his his wife passed in the early 80s Interesting. So, so yeah he's been a you know in addition to being a big animal rights activist and things like that he's been a vegetarian for like the last 30 plus years huh interesting yeah but i was the man man that was, that was it right there that's a good one bruce lee bruce lee the founder of mma man that's how i think of him i mean he started mixing the styles together the jujitsu with the hand speed. I mean, he made it cool, man. The Chinese movies before that were cool. They were interesting, but he made the martial arts movies like the thing to watch worldwide. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Man, another pimp. Man, am I just thinking you naming all big pimpins, or or is that on you? Because a little bit. You naming some ballers right here and Kareem. some martial arts connections as well. Yeah, big time. Obviously, I thought of him in the movie, man. But like, I don't know. Big time, big time baller, big time socially, you know, that crossover from athlete to movie actor is huge, right? So that's definitely going to make you uh, think about him. You can't get away from that, dude. Diamond Dallas Page. DDP. Man, that dad, can I say something that's not popular? That daggone video, that guy um, that rehabbed himself during DDP's program. Mm -hmm. It was a touching story. But I think I got tagged in that video about 37 times. Man, Lord. Yes, it was phenomenal. DDP, he does yoga now. He rehabs someone. Happy him. All right, I'm done. Yeah, it's interesting just to seeing that, you know, he talked about when he started working the plan, it's just how certain parts of yoga didn't sort of uh, allow for certain things. Like, for example, using a chair to sort of help prop yourself up in a situation like that. And then he just talked about doing the diamond cutter movement. When you work out, you feel like you use more muscles and things like that, too. I mean, it's very interesting just uh, that whole story of how he just sort of did a modified thing. And he talked about how the yoga helped him after he blew out his back, basically. And it uh, really sort of helped his career, especially him starting and wrestling a little bit later than other guys did him being in his mid 30s or or so yeah yeah that's crazy that's the route that he ended up taking man but he he really took a hold of it chuck norris chuck norris chuck norris sent an autographed picture to my great grandma when she turned 100 years old so that was pretty cool that was dope you think i'll be more known for walker texas ranger than any other movies that he's done by far yeah, them old heads love Walker, Texas Ranger. Yo, that yeah. Walker, Texas Ranger will be on air at 2040. 
I believe it. I mean, just like Matlock, hey, people get old, and Matlock will still be on, even though Andy Griffith's been dead for probably a good five years. But Andy Griffith probably got two shows that'll stay on to the end of time, just because even us as millennials, if you watched it on TBS or you watched it on Channel 5 or whatever channel it was that would show up <laughs> in the afternoons or 9 o'clock before, you know, Maury or, or Jerry Springer, you probably didn't see it, just like the Beverly Hillbillies. The Beverly Hillbillies will be on probably to oh, the man, end of time. Oh, man, I ain't time. seen that one in a long time. Man, that's way bad. See, I was probably, as a kid, just probably the worst couch potato. That's probably why I know so much random stuff. Either I'm reading encyclopedias or I was watching TV. And like I said, Nick at Night, especially uh, before Nick at Night sort of went all 90s stuff. Basically, you would see stuff from the 50s, 60s, 70s up there. And as much as I'll be clamoring for stuff, hey, we need to put some more 80s stuff on. Uh, as soon as they did that, that's when the gate opened, and then we'll regret every little bit of it. Hold now. on, so, uh, so Matt Locke and stuff was on Nick at Night? Matt Locke wasn't more like uh, like Dick Van Dyke was, some Andy Griffith was, Mary Tyler Moore was for a point, but uh, yeah, Matt Locke wasn't. That's probably more stuff that's more TBS. Yeah, no, Matt Locke was on, I think, like 9 in the morning after Beverly Hillbillies. They would do like a couple hours of Matt Locke, and then they would do some other show, maybe in the heat of the night or something. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, in the heat of the night was on that joint. You're I, right. I tell you, man, it's just like, I. Rem it's sad. I remember, like, uh, I used to remember, like, TV schedules from, like, like random nights and some random years because you could tell because most of the time those shows were so legit. I mean, just thinking about, I'm just trying to think, like, at one point on Fox, I know Simpsons used to be on Thursday because they had it up against Cosby Show at one point. Then it went to Sunday again for where it's been for like, right. the past maybe almost 20 years I, I can remember tv schedules like crazy it's just okay yeah like a, like i tell you it's on monday night on nbc you had eight o'clock you had fresh prince 8 30 blossom 9 to 11 they used to do like the movie of the week they used to do a movie of the week on nbc and you know like of course everybody remember tgif on Friday. okay i tell you man, man this is the stuff that gets stuck in my head that's all right that's interesting my man Got a whole history of TV in your mind. Yeah, and the detriment was being very sedentary for years. But, you know, some of the prices you pay, I guess. But going back to word association, Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno, man. Of course, you know, the Hulk. Uh, I immediately thought the image of him standing next to Arnold when they competed against each other. That was always crazy. Lou was big, man. Lou was a big dude. Arnold beat him, though. Arnold was the man back then. It's just crazy. I mean, I feel like Lou Ferrigno maybe doesn't get his due as the role he played in pop culture, especially now with the movies now and CGI and, and things like that. Now it's just yeah. Well, Ruffalo. when you see when you see Hulk, he's got to pop in your mind, right? Even oh, yeah. when you see the cartoon, you got to give him a little bit of that credit. I mean, he he's had a couple of cameos in those other two Hulk movies with like Ed Norton and Eric Bana, but I feel like man, he's a pop culture icon. John Cena. Oh, man, John Cena. Let's see. What I think about John Cena? I don't know. Didn't he make a comeback? Didn't he change his identity again? Yeah, he tried to do like this. Uh, he added this finisher. as like a hand strike to the chest or something. I can't, I can't think of what it was. It's like a... It's, oh, man, yeah. <laughs> just, like, uh, just like how they had like a superstar Billy Graham come back and learn Kung Fu and I don't know a single lick. No, dang on why he learned Kung Fu in one year. Man, but that was the joint, though. But I don't know. I don't know what I think, man. That was uh, good times. Think about the kids. 
What about the song Kung Fu Fighting? You know, I always think about that song, and uh, and there's a version Tom Jones did of it too for for Super Cop. But yeah, I always just think about that song. I don't know where it goes with that. There's a whole album that that guy Carl Douglas did with a lot of martial arts references to it, and it is just absolutely ridiculous. But that song Kung Fu Fighting that. This song that pops into my head when I think of anything. Martin. I don't think I listen to anything off the album but that. I mean, a Jamaican dude talking about Kung Fu fighting. Okay, the album's called The Soul of the Kung Fu Fighter. So Okay. Um, the can, Soul of the Kung Fu. I'm going to I'm gonna have to check that one out. Okay, there is, there is uh, Kung Fu Fighting. There is Run Back. Dance the Kung Fu. Blue-Eyed Soul. Love, Peace, and Happiness. Um, those are the listed songs on the front. I just think of the like over the top ridiculousness of it. And when I see a picture of Carl Douglas, I got that five star rating everywhere. <laughs> when I see the picture of Carl Douglas, it looks like uh, how Martin would have played one of those martial arts masters and when he was in costume. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think of when I see that. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> No, what do you expect? I have not listened to the album now. I just wanted to listen to it for the sheer sake of curiosity because what more can you do when you see all these weird things and it's like, might as well give it a shot. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's horrible. Maybe it's a hidden gem. It got a lot of tracks on it. I got 22 on there. <laughs> Man, I just didn't think, especially if it be coming out in the 70s, I mean, shoot, most albums I feel like were like eight tracks. Maybe that's it. How many times can you put Kung Fu in a song over and over? I mean... Dance the Kung Fu, Shanghai. Shanghai, oh my god. <laughs> Green tangerines and wild evergreens. Okay. Oh my goodness. And man, my I, man was out there. Yeah, man. The '70s. Sometimes you just gotta put stuff together. Michael Jai White. Michael Jai White. Oh man, A actual real fighter, actual real artist. His YouTube series are actually awesome too. Yeah, I haven't. Last thing I saw, maybe on him, other than like the the teaser trailer for like the second movie in his Black Dynamite sort of trilogy, which I hope they still put out. It's like now Black Dynamite sort of set in the old west. Yeah, I I know they had the Mortal Kombat stuff that he was playing Jax, and yeah, you know it looked pretty good. Especially I, I know one thing he seems to when it comes to certain movie projects, he is very serious about that. And I know especially the the heart and soul he put into Black Dynamite. Mm. Oh my god! Very serious about practicing his art too, man. Yeah, and me and Eddie, we talked about this. He told me one time, man, look in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, Michael Jai White, and I'm like, oh, oh shit, that is Michael Jai White. He's in the background of all those Foot Clan soldiers. He's there, but you can notice that's him. So he's probably like back then. I, I can only imagine he's like almost. I didn't know that. He's Where probably, at? Where was he at? So when uh, Ernie Reyes's character tries to get into the Foot Clan and Raph is trying to help him get in there, there's this one scene where they're out in the junkyard and there's a group of guys and you can see Michael Jai White. He is the most noticeable black dude. It's, it's him. He hadn't aged at all. Huh. He looks the same as he did in like that Universal Soldier movie and that Blood and Bone movie. And you could tell that was him. He looked the same like he did in uh, Dark Knight. But yeah, huh. it was like noticeably 20 years younger. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, and think about that. That's almost 30 years. I'm still looking forward to that next movie in his Black Dynamite trilogy. This is a question I've asked a few guests. If there were a movie about your life, who would you have play you? Can I get Michael Jai White? Why not? It's up to you. It's your <laughs> movie of your life. I mean, it goes right. That, that fits. And then celebrity that people say you most look like. 
Wow. Throughout time as a whole, I would have to probably say Martin Lawrence. Okay. Yeah, you know, bust a few jokes and then there it is. People never really think about that when that question is asked to them. Some people don't. And and then other people, they have something where when you don't really think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, now I can see it. I really see it. You start focusing more. And Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just crazy how, you know, like some people may have a preconceived notion. Okay. It used to be Steve Urkel. Yeah, sure. Even Jaleel White don't even look like Steve Urkel. <laughs> I know, that's true. Man, I can't imagine what it's like to be typecast in that role for years. I mean, rarely do you see some actors get a second career role. Like Ed O'Neill from Married with Children. And, you know, he finally shed the Al Bundy thing, and now he's the dad on Modern Family. Oh, uh, okay, right, right. And and there's like it took forever though, right? It took a new generation almost to come up. Oh yeah, yeah. And even then, it's like just because that's the first show I can think of him as. I think of him as Al Bundy, but I know it's like eventually, after a while, if you're trying to get a job, you don't want to be thought, you don't want to be reminded of that. But later on down the right. road, you're like, oh yeah, hey, people remember me. Of course, the cast of Friends. And it's funny how that show just came up. Basically, when you look at the premise, before they all got big, it was a bunch of. No name actors who had a bunch of failed pilots plus Courtney Cox. That's all. Courtney Cox was the star of that show because she was on Family Ties. Yeah, man. It's just like, hey, who knew a bunch of extras who got lucky would end up becoming stars? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like I said, Jennifer Aniston had like a bunch of failed shows before she even hit it big. Yeah, she was on a sketch comedy show. She was the sister in the Ferris Bueller spinoff on TV. Like I said, it's just some of the, the weird stuff. People like to let you forget that they had a, a bad role or a role on some crappy show before they hit it big. You got to embrace everything. There's some, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, there's probably people who've been on horrible shows, but all of a sudden became stars and embraced the fact, hey, I was on this show that might have been a cult classic or all this stuff, but, you know, that's how it goes. Or you could be Johnny Depp and star in everything and still end up with nothing. Yeah, that's true, but he's a bizarre guy sometimes. I mean... <laughs> You look at like Paul Rubens. He's embraced. He's Pee Wee Herman. He's gonna be Pee Wee Herman till the day he dies. Yep, no getting around that one. Yeah, and, and hey, the fact that he leaned into it, I mean, he knows. And even then, everybody knows that Pee Wee Herman's comedy was not for kids in the first place. It was for adults. <laughs> like there's this one early skit. Like he was like one of the first ones on HBO. So it was like 1980s or so. So really, yeah, in the Playhouse. So yeah, it was so early. I'm trying to think. Cause Phil Hartman was in one of the skits. It was Captain Carl. It was before, like, the King of Cartoons and Cowboy Curtis and all that other stuff. See, people forget Lawrence Fishburne was Cowboy Curtis on Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse, too. People forget that. I mean, you want to remember, everybody want to remember him as the dad in Boys in the Hood and Ike Turner and the dad on Blackish. He was Cowboy Curtis on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah, I wonder how many people actually say, and I remember you from Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah, yeah. So there's this one skit where Pee Wee gets the mail and the genie zombie, you remember the, the genie zombie, the headless genie, where he would say, make it like a high, make a honey hole. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so he's like, um, so apparently zombie gets these hands, uh, these actual physical hands, and, it, you know, he gives them the, the box, and it's like, man, there's been something I've been waiting to do for a long time, and then closes the box with the hands. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, it is exactly, and they did that when they redid that show live, modern day, uh, like, uh. like, maybe like five years ago when they had it on HBO, the exact same joke happened. But I mean, at that time when you see it, like, man, I didn't think anything of it, but I mean, I know if you go back and look at that show, I'm, I'm 
pretty sure it was messed up. Oh, yeah. SpongeBob, Ren and Snippy, all of that messed up. People forget that a lot of this stuff was, while it was made for kids, it was for adults, too. Just some of the jokes that went over her head. Like, if you yeah, yeah, yeah. go back and watch, like, Animaniacs or Tiny Toons, there's a lot of jokes that, man. Yep. I wish I called that back then, but you know, I think that's something to age and experience. That's something, and that yeah. you finally understand. Even just the fact that Shaggy was high. Oh yeah. Well, Casey Kasem never had an issue with that. It was just always that he wanted Shaggy to be a vegetarian. He had no issue with the van smoking all the time. Just like when he eats those giant daggle <laughs> sandwiches, he had to be a vegetarian. Not a single bit of meat. Not even a pescatarian. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, wow. he was a legit vegetarian after a while, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I just like, you know, that's no, something yeah. like you don't really hear about. But yeah, that's what you was focused on at all that. Yeah, man. I mean, that's stuff I found out later on. I mean, everybody saw the smoking van. The only question was, why is it Fred, and Daphne, and Velma didn't get high? Because if you're in a confined yeah. space <laughs> and there's that constant smoke, and we all know what's happening, how is it right. those three are even-minded and the other two are not? Yeah. I like to believe contact highs don't work that way. Yeah. I don't know. It probably wasn't that strong back then. <laughs> eh, who knows? Yeah. I guess they got some weaker strands. You did weightlifting in, in school. Did you do any um, bodybuilding competitions? Or No. No. Never stepped on stage, my man. No. Never my thing. Um, I'm sure I could have did well. I didn't want to put myself through that. For no reason, maybe a little lazy. It just wasn't my deal. Love to watch it. Love that whole aspect of it. But always viewed myself as a smaller guy. And to me, to lose weight and to get smaller, to tighten up for a show, just I just didn't, couldn't do it. Yeah, I was just always curious. There's a few people I know who, who got into the bodybuilding and who started doing that. And it's like, well, you know, everybody has their own thing. Some people just go on to the gym just to get the pump. And just like I think of what Mac on It's Always Sunny, he always talked about how it ends up working the glamour muscles. Doesn't work everything else, just works the works yeah. works the arms. Yeah. <laughs> works the arms, doesn't try to work everything else. It's like people hate leg day. I assume leg day is a time where you can probably do the most benefit for you? Um, definitely the most benefit for you. The legs is the is where it's at. You're going to activate the most muscle groups, doing various different types of squats. So you're going to work your whole body. The legs demand the most energy, so you're going to burn the most calories, probably demand the most oxygen working your legs. So, yeah, that's the king, man. That's where it's at if you're going to do anything. But, um, you know, for me working out, you got to look at all the other principles of it and all the things it does help. It helps me for mental clarity. You know, that's a big thing I've been open about trying to tell my clients lately is working out. It's not just a look good thing for me. That's the place where I get the anxiety out, get my mind clear, get focused on bigger goals, train my mind to know that it can do more and it can push beyond limits. Like it goes way beyond a six pack. You know what I mean? Is it a good thing to go into maybe your workout, maybe angry as a motivator? Uh, I'm going to say not all the time. To think a human is going to be absent of anger at any point in time isn't fair. Not to be too philosophical, but to think somebody's going to be absent of anger at any time is just not fair. You, yeah, you can go in there with some anger and release it. Now, if you're trying to use that as your primary fuel, I think that's bad for anyone to practice. You can try. I'm sure some people have. But usually what you do in the gym 
And if I see somebody hit the mitts, for example, for five to ten minutes, I can tell you their whole personality. Being, are they shy at home and work? Are they strategic? Are they fatigue seekers or technicians? Can tell you a lot about a person. So what I'm getting to is, if you're using anger as your motivator in the gym, I fear you may take that somewhere else and use anger as a motivator in other parts of your life. So I would be worried of using that as your source of energy and motivation. The one thing to maybe have something to pump you up and go like, you know, some people use like death metal or whatever to get yourself psyched up when you're in the gym, but to have a constant anger, I feel like that's, you know, not good for someone's state of mental health. Just for real quick, let's distinguish anger and intensity Mm -hmm. because I can go in there with a effed up face sometimes and then see a older lady speak to me and I'm hey, how you doing, Betty? <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's because I'm not trying to project that intensity towards her, but I am trying to have that type of intensity towards my workout. I'm not angry at my workout, but the intensity is messed up face, um, short, tight breathing, uh, tense muscles, over-exaggerated posture like a peacock about to get into a fight, right? You know what I mean? So those are just the signs, the things you do in anger. You also do in bits of intensity as well, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes you get confused the two. Some people confuse the two in themselves. Ah, every time I go in the gym, I just, you know, ah, it just gets me so crazy. I feel crazy. Ah, well, yeah, you're not. It's intense. You're just intense. You're not crazy. You're not hyped up per se. It's just an intense moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. A big thing I want to start preaching, Earl, here is brand new. I guess this is my first place to practice it publicly. Everything takes time, but don't take your time. Big thing I'm learning. Everything takes time, but I don't mean just sit back and wait. You know, especially on the Eastern Shore, just anywhere, we got the mentality of you got to wait for something good to happen. You got to be lucky. You know, you got to wait your turn. I don't think you need to wait your turn. But everything takes time. But while you're waiting your turn, while that time is passing, make sure you take an action. Yeah, no, I, and I got you. I feel like there are ways, there are times where while you're trying to wait for something else to develop, you can still get other things done in that, in yeah. that window. I was yeah. thinking about uh, putting together a list. That's a great point. Of like 38 things before I turn 38 because that way that gives me 18 months to do a lot of stuff. And right. Because try to rush a whole bunch of stuff in, in six months that's the other thing if you try to do rush something then it doesn't end up turning out well and i always right. to become a believer of aim for adequacy first not perfection and then go from there and but yeah, yeah. there's probably like done is better than perfect right oh yeah yeah and then once you get to a certain thing then that's when you sort of strive for a higher level of competency and yeah, like one of the things I'm going to put on my list is I want to learn how to play a, a guitar. And I got a, a, a broken wow. guitar. I got a broken guitar sitting in this office that, you know, I've been talking about for a while. Just go to his place to uh, get it restringed. And I mean, there's YouTube videos. You can learn a lot of stuff, even on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I mean, just I go back to yeah, this. If you ever need a tune in or just one lesson here and there, once every three months or so, I know a guy. Oh, plays yeah. in the band. My karate teacher, Eric Evans, man. He can do it for you. He would love to. He loves to play music. Yeah, I mean, right there in Salisbury, my man. I tell you, man, it's just yeah, and it's like I feel like there's so many things. Like I said, I, I keep talking about it, and that's another example. I want to write a book. I want to write a book because yeah. you know, 
it may not be the highest quality book, but a book nonetheless. Sometimes you just gotta go from yeah. there. I mean, hey, there's some people who sold a bunch of books that from what I've heard are really structurally garbage, but people still read them anyway. I mean, like you never know, Vinci, like a friend of mine who's big into reading a lot of stuff. He said the Vinci code is probably the most poorly written book ever, but people still bought it. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. And that's why I think there's probably plenty of things to do and plenty of goals to set. And I've always been a believer of there's always time to do stuff. The only time when you can't do it is when you're dead. That's it. Because the game's over. Yeah, yeah. So I know some people will only work on two or three hours of sleep to try to get more stuff done. Hey, and that's cool. That's that's their own thing. But like I said, when you're dead, that's it. Game's over. You better yeah. sort of be happy with what you've been able to accomplish. Or Play the game while you can. Yeah, I mean, that's your own fault if you end up living life and leaving this world with a regret. If you leave this world with a regret... That's your own fault. And there you go. I know there's plenty of people who probably don't want to be that. But man, I do appreciate it. And hey, we got to do this again. You're almost close to the five timers club. And I think this All right, man. In, man. Uh, what are ways that people can reach out to you either on Facebook, social media? I feel like Facebook and social media are like two different things now. Two different things. I yeah, think Facebook. everyone does. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, man. You can catch me on. The big thing is Facebook, Dante Finney, D O N T A. F-I-N-N-E-Y. Catch me on Facebook, man. Ask me whatever you need to ask me. And uh, catch me on Instagram, full contact for fun. Big on there. Snapchat, full contact for fun. That's the number four, full contact for fun, man. Hit me up. Ask me any health or fitness question. If I don't have the answer, I'll be glad to look it up for you. All right, man. I do appreciate it. We will do this again very, very soon. Yep. I'm looking forward to have Dante back for his fourth appearance on the show, hopefully very soon. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to share. Next time, in recognition of the Sports Refuge reaching the one-year mark, my guest will be Chris Jenkins, a good friend of mine and former wrestling teammate at Snow Hill High School. We'll discuss what it was like trying the sport of wrestling as a junior in high school, what the learning curves were, and what life lessons it provided to him. Before I go, I have a little bit of good news as the Sports Refuge now can be found on Spotify's podcast section. So now you can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else podcasts are heard. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.